Welcome to HeCast, the official podcast of He Changed It. As always, I am Mike Chisholm. As always, I am excited to be here to talk about the ins and outs, the nuances, and uh, to get conversations going out in the open about men, mental health, mental wellness, and um, the plight of the man in uh, in the 2020s. Boy, we're in the 2020s. How crazy is that? And uh, when it comes to, uh, I, I love it and I hate it at the same time. I, I love it uh, because we have never been so technologically advanced. We have never been so openly advanced to the uh, the exchange of ideas in, in so many different ways. But I hate it at the same time because I don't know that I've ever experienced life in a time where things are more polarized um, and, 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 and things are being challenged in ways where there are people who are, we've never been so connected. But at the same time, there are men out there who have never been so alone. And with the He Changed It team and what they're doing, they're trying to bust through all of that. I'm so honored to be even a small part of what He Changed It is trying to do. We've got all sorts of things going on. Listen, if you haven't downloaded the He Changed It app, what the heck are you waiting for? Please uh, go to whatever app persuasion that you are, whether you're the Google or you're the uh, or you're the Apple no problem. Each one of your stores have He Changed It. Search He Changed It. Download the app. It's free. Lots of resources on there, and you ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, just some great stuff going on. Also, if you wouldn't mind liking, sharing, subscribing this podcast, we would appreciate that as well. Let's get the uh, the numbers up a little bit so the masses can be helped that much more. Now, that being said, the housekeeping is out of the way. Uh, I am really, really excited about today's guest on HeCast. Um, first and foremost, we just went through, uh, at the time of this broadcast, we went through Remembrance Day in Canada um, and, and, and other, uh, November 11th, of course, um, is seen all around the world. Uh, and, and, and I'm a big lest we forget guy. I, I, the idea of these um, uh, markers, I don't even want to call them a holiday. I don't think that's the right connotation for it. But these markers that we have as a planet that remember and um we're supposed to let that remembrance kind of permeate that's why that holiday on the 11th hour the 11th month 11th day that 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 idea was created because we as a society um did something so heinous that we wanted to always remember so we would never do that again and the idea of lest we forget and that if if we forget history it repeats itself man that uh when I look at what's going on in the world right now, it's it's like, man, we've forgotten some of these things. But at the same time, when I think of somebody who has served, I just always, the gratefulness that I have, I have never known personally what it's like to be in a war situation. I've never known what it's like to to have freedom for me. I look at this polarization that we have right now. That The, res the reason that that exists is because of the freedoms that we have. And we live in such an amazing society, me personally in Canada, but there are places around the world that have had unprecedented freedom when you look at world history. And the reason for that is because it's been fought for. And anybody who serves, I always have the deepest respect for. The gentleman that we have today, uh, Sev Lavoy, who is going to be on here, Sev, La Sev Lavoy, pardon me, um, is a shining example of that. But here's a guy who not only has served, he has taken that serving of what he has 
and what he has experienced and taking a look at what's going on around him when it comes to mental health. Uh, I, I cannot wait to get into this conversation with him because we are learning about what PTSD is. And, and I look at Seb and what he um, brings to the table when it comes to insights and intelligence. Um, and, and I'm just so, so grateful that he has taken time out of his busy day to be part of HeCast. Seb, thank you so much for being on HeCast today. I just, I, I can't, I can't tell you how grateful I am. When you heard about what he changed it is doing, you jumped up immediately, just like you did volunteered to serve your country. You jumped up and, and said, Oh, I want to be a part of this. And, and, uh, and we're so grateful for that. What was it about? He changed it that you heard about that you were so excited about. Yeah. Like anything that really addresses men's wellness falls right into, right into my, my field of interest. Right. And yeah. doing it with people that have, such a such a meaningful impact on 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 the collective on the men's collective i mean this is you know feeds right into the concept of synergy i mean doing meaningful things with meaningful people i mean i'm in well we're so grateful for it let's start at the beginning seb um uh, you know let's let's talk about your credentials and where and, and what you've done and and because i mean uh I hate using the term decorated when it comes to mm -hmm. military service. I, I Again, just like I don't want to call Remembrance Day a holiday, I am, I, I don't even know what the word, like the, the, the reverence that I have for folks who are willing to just, to do what you've done. You've done what, you've you've not just put your hand up to serve, but you've, you've really gotten into it. Not that anybody who doesn't volunteer has gotten into it, but at the end of the day, um, what can you tell our listeners and viewers about what it is that you've done? Mm -hmm. Over the course of a 25 year career. Yeah. So just, just to clarify, I, I'm in, I'm in awe of, of people serve that served in the military and served in the, in the current war, the past conflicts and those who will in the future. However, I can't take credit for that because I certainly missed the, the conflict because I released from the military in 2000, in 2000, yeah, in 2000. So right before 9-11. So I did not serve overseas. I did not see combat operation from a military perspective. And uh, it doesn't take away from, you know, the service and wanting to be there or being willing to be there. And the reason why I'm saying this is because I don't want people out there that are serving and never seen combat to think that they're they're obviously not what they're doing isn't righteous, which yes. isn't the case at all. Yes. But there is a human experience associated with combat that I have that that I have not been privy to in a military context. OK, yes. So I will not take credit where credit isn't due. In 2001, I engaged in the, I left the military and engaged into the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And I yes. spent 20 years in the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. I did anything, everything from patrol function to um, covert specialized section to a the emergency response team, which is our, the equivalent of the SWAT team, really, which yep. is a tactical unit. I spent 12 years on full-time emergency response team. I spent seven years as a team leader on the team. And I eventually would retire as the sergeant major for the division, so the province of British Columbia. So I was attached to the commanding officer's office as an advisory NCO. So if we think, if the, if command thought, well, this is a great idea, uh, they would run it by SEB to see if actually it was, you know, where the right. wheels meet the pavement. And my job was essentially to bridge the gap between the rank and file of our 8,200 or so employees and yep. command and vice versa, represent command with the rank and file so that we could bridge that gap. So I spent two years in that position. 
I released from the Royal Canadian Mount Police uh, in 2021. I went on a venture of my own discovery on a path that wasn't so lit up. And I just took a giant, you know, calculated risk. And I just loved it ever since. So I now have a company called Raven Strategic that does all kinds of stuff from security consulting to motivational speaking to guest speaking appearances to and the list goes on and on one-on-one -on -one coaching with 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 people of various backgrounds mm -hmm. and and the idea is just to try to get somebody that's so used to pursuing excellence and 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 being able to draw excellence out of other people to help people manage their own lives or some of the goals that they might have in in, in the work that's required to get to them so that's pretty much what I've been doing for the last two years. I I appreciate very much the uh, you know the humbleness that 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 you do have here. Um, I I want to talk a little bit about before we get into some of the the, the mental health aspects that uh, that you are so passionate about. Um, so so you served in the military and then moved over to the RCMP. Uh, what? You know, you've got two organizations there that uh, are very set in their ways, very strong, very uh, disciplined, very systemized. Um, what served you? Uh, what what skills did you have and things that you had learned and gone through that, that through the military? What what skills did you bring with you to the RCMP that served you over there? And were there any conflicts? Were there ever any things that where you're like, oh, well, you learned it this way for so long. And then when you moved over this new system here, um, you found to be a little bit, um, well, different in any way that might uh, might have caused a little bit of uh, discomfort. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say my biggest takeaway is having the ability to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. In my military career, I've done some very difficult courses, you know, courses that started with 36 people and 13 graduated, those types yeah. of numbers, those types of attrition rates. And I essentially became the person that believes in themselves. Like I knew that I could do the things and I knew that no matter how hard those things were, that I would be able to do them. I knew I established a process in my mind on how I was going to accomplish something. So if I set forth to do something that was critically important, I knew exactly how to go about taking step by step one day at a time and, and taking incremental step towards success. So it really established a pattern of excellence. And it also established my ability to be stress inoculated, so to speak. You know, I it didn't matter how elevated the stress was, I made chaos organized. That's what I was good at, controlling chaos. As far as uh, having a downside, it certainly did. When I initially started, it was a culture shock. No, not really, but okay. not not in that not in that um, in that respect. But what ended up happening is um, I was when I went to the academy in Regina, yeah. I was fresh out of the military, and I was put in charge of the of our troops, which was the right marker, which is the person that's essentially in charge of the troop, and that person basically leads the troop through the training, evolution, and practice, and extra this and extra that, and. One of the things that I was not aware of is there there are other ways to lead than the old school, old fashioned militaristic way and autocratic kind of leadership. So yes, I was very caring. I had a degree of emotional intelligence. I wasn't I wasn't like a brute by any by any stretch of the imagination, but I certainly did brutish things at time when the stress was elevated on everybody and that 
you know, there was some contention or, or whatever. So looking back at this, after developing as a leader over the course of 20 years, I look back and I'm shaking my head going, man, I made so many leaders, leadership mistakes at the time, you know? And yes, I, I'm not dwelling on this, but it's just a realization that, you know, perhaps, and and every, every time I've had the chance to have a conversation with somebody that wasn't my troop when I was the team, the, the leader, even though they assessed me really high, I could have done a lot better. And I always tell them that, you know, I apologize if I was a bit of a brute. I obviously wasn't where I needed to be as a leader. Mm -hmm. And it took me years to understand, you know, to know what I didn't know at the time. So now if, if we fast forward this to a post war, so Afghanistan, Iraq and Afghanistan uh, yep. conflicts, yep. the leadership in the, in the Canadian forces, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to use uh, the Canadian Special Operation Command, for example. Like, this is where I would take my leadership example, not from, you know, necessarily the, the regular rank and files, although there yep. are great leaders in there also. Yep. But it has more It has more of a, a sort of free thinking. Like, we want our people to be able to think, to, to, be critic, to be able to conduct critical analysis and be able to problem solve on their own. Okay. And so this is more the type of leader that I became over over the years. And so I I connect more with that with that sort of you know leadership. And so if I could go back in time, I would do things a lot differently from that perspective. Instead of having the old school pre-conflict, this is how we lead in the military, and this is how things done. You do things because I say so, you know, versus having an engaged troops and 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 making decision problem solving together kind of thing. So I love that we're talking about this because I mean, obviously, um, you know, with, with, with this, uh, this show, our aim and all of the, uh, the, the expectations that we have, we want to change the world. That's, that's literally what we want to do. We want to change the world. And part of in that changing of the world, we look back to where we were, um, and where we are now and the transformation that's happened. And then we, we see where we want to be. I think about situations like, like stereotypical situations. We've talked a lot about locker rooms. We have had folks on here who have talked about, you know, military and things like that. You think about the old school stereotypical ideas. And I love the fact that you are, you're kind of alluding to the idea that, you know, you were brought into a world that maybe we might think of the stereotypical, um, you know, military or, you know, locker rooms, places like that. And, and the evolution that's happened and the critical thinking part uh, that you're talking about here now that, that leaders, um, you know, and, and not just leaders, I think everybody thirsts for that right now, because at the end of the day, there's so many voices that are just coming at us and the idea that that critical thinking i mean i don't know if there's a better skill that human beings can have i think about my granddaughter right now in the world that she's going to be inheriting i think i don't know if there's a better skill that somebody could have right now in the polarized times that we live in than critical thinking yeah absolutely and i would say i would say beyond critical thinking i would say having the ability to physically critically critical conduct critical analysis you know so um, one of the things that i sort of I think is 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 very very important is to have the wheels to the pavement type, type experience some academic knowledge yep. as well right so you you need to be able to bridge that gap because if you're if you spend a life a lifetime in academia um a lot of the a lot of the problem solving that you will be doing would be inoperable in the field and when i say the field i mean in life right yep. you you haven't experienced it from the ground from from the wheels to the pavement 
type. So having the ability to have some level of academia, which, you know, reinforces the principle of critical analysis, but also of sourcing your information and who said what and peer reviewed material and that kind of yeah. stuff is critically important. But also, and I'm not suggesting that somebody necessarily has to go to school, it's just having an understanding that that's the case, right? Where are you getting your information from and how valid is it? And then from there, having the conversation uh, about you know the reality because this is what happens in reality so how do we marry up the two yeah and so and so giving him all the tools on the academic side and none of the operational tools doesn't work giving him all the operational tools and none of the academic tools doesn't work so it has to be the it has to be like everything else in balance yes well and i mean okay so my background is i came in i'm i'm from the financial service business and and when i got into the business um i remember uh, somebody a mentor of mine saying to me hey when your plumber is giving you investment advice it's time to get out and i i didn't know what that meant and then in i've seen so many bubbles be created and burst in that time and 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 before a bubble bursts whatever it is whether it's a real estate one whether it's you know whatever you want to talk about what's going on with crypto the dot com revolution back in the in the the late 90s all of these things before the bubble bursts you get an incredible amount of laymen talking like they're experts about things and i mean i see i've seen that in so many different ways and when you start seeing the layman talk about things and all they're doing is they are parroting things that they have heard but they have no academic knowledge like you've said or or even the operational knowledge um that's where you realize okay it might be time to really observe what's going to happen here because the pendulum might swing back uh did i just not describe two or three things that are going on right now in the times that we live in right now yeah, absolutely. And you know, what's interesting is humans have a limited capacity for complexity, right? Because yes. we need we need to be able to make sense of our world. And it is absolutely asinine that we're even here in the first place, sort of spinning around the sun on a ball of water, let alone all the things that we have to make sense of. And one of the propensity of the brain is to oversimplify everything so that we may understand it. What's important to understand is that our pursuit to try to understand everything does not work and it will never. So what we need to do is we need to go from the unconscious and competence stage to the conscious and competence stage. That is a major step forward. Yes. Once we are consciously incompetent, we know to look for things when they happen. Mm -hmm. We know that there's probably more to the story. We know that we need to be informed and that we need to speak to a subject matter expert or read about it or do something that is more um, in depth, right? Yes. The problem is most humans don't realize that we do that. So they continue to be unconsciously incompetent as humans. So they literally don't know what they don't know, but they're also not interested in knowing if they don't know something. Whereas if you don't, if you know what you don't know, you can go to the person that know it and have the information. So the goal isn't to assimilate and have the information uh, available, readily available to you because you somehow know something about everything because mm -hmm. that we know that that's impossible because there is so much, but knowing that we are literally incompetent most of the time is, is, is step one to taking ownership of that and, and taking control of our fate as humans. Once we establish that, then we can start looking at who knows what we don't know and finding the information. 
that's almost biblical you know isn't that isn't that a proverb somewhere the wise man is the one that knows that he's a fool something like that <laughs> um i i and I, I you know this i'm gonna marry that to the fact that i love this gig that i do so so much because i love talking to people who are smarter than me and that's that's the vast majority of people out there when i hear <laughs> someone like yourself um, who has delved down this rabbit hole as far as you have seb i just appreciate uh, these little bite-sized pieces of information that you can give that my mind can assimilate. Like that is a very uh, simple concept that I can apply to my life and I can, um, I can use it as a lens when I'm, when I'm, when I'm looking at something or, or pondering something that is a very uh, simple uh, thing that can be done. And I think that's the mark of a good leader is being able to simplify things and bite-sized things. So the masses can understand it and apply it. Um, you have seen in your life between the military and the RCMP, I mean, it's really two separate careers. By the way, I also, uh, not for nothing, but our audience is going to want to know the secret to the fountain of youth. You clearly have it, um, <laughs> having lived the lives that you've led up to this point. Oh, my goodness. Um, the two careers that you've had and, and, and looking the way that you do and having the mindset that you do, the fresh mindset – um, I'm going to ask you this for personally, how much work has it taken for these two careers to not have beaten the crap out of you and, and for you to be who you are today, obviously, um, you've taken care of yourself physically, but also mentally as well. What are some of the secrets that you have, uh, or what are some of the, the, the parts of your journey that have kept you healthy that way? Yeah. I mean, there's, I think it's a conglomeration of things, right? You, you are correct in that in my job requirements always involved physical abilities, right? So I was always a physical person as a youth. I played outside, you know, we were the generation that didn't really have, you know, anything until later um, in our, in our teenage years, like video games first came phones. out. Exactly. And no yeah. cell phones and everything. So I did a lot of physical endeavors. I certainly was very passionate about physical fitness because I think it's highly underrated and the benefits on the mind and the emotional well wellness is undeniable. And, um, and, and it was very important to me, but also I was, you know, grounded in a purpose and that is a massive, is it's a massive sort of pillar of, of the resilience scheme, right? So having the ability to what it is that you are doing, is it truly meaningful for you? And if it is truly meaningful for you, then you are passionate about doing it and it no longer is work. And then the downsides that are coming along with it are easier to negotiate. Second, I never let any of my careers define me. Regardless how much I loved my careers, I never was a cop or I never was a, a, a you know a military guy. Like I just so happened to work in the military. I just so happened to work in the police force. But even when I was you know proud to be a, a team leader on the emergency response team, I was Seb. I wasn't yeah. you know an emergency team leader, whatever the case may be. But and I think what we're seeing in policing is people are spending thirty years in there, and the job defines them. They're nothing without it, and then they yeah. leave, or something happens that interferes with this. And when we talk about PTSD, we can talk about obviously sanctuary trauma, yeah. or they, they or they they are wrong, or they feel they are wrong by the by the organization, or they are actually wrong by the organization, and everything. Yeah. And that takes a chip of the old block. It's actually affecting their their persona it, it's affecting their identity which this was never a thing for me so physical fitness was prioritized always mental and intellectual development was prioritized always yeah. so i pushed myself outside my comfort zone not just physically but mentally always i never let myself be comfortable so i it, it allowed me 
to learn about the tools that I can use to preemptively address some of the some of the things that would affect me either mentally or emotionally. See, the problem is when it comes to policing, when it comes to military, when it comes to anything really, even in in the in the corporate settings, yeah, pe- people don't invest in their well wellness ahead of time. They are reactive. They get themselves all stressed out and all caught up and everything. And eventually, when it catches up to them, they're like, okay, now what? And what am I yeah. supposed to do with this? Yeah. Well, the, the punch you prepare for is much better than the punch you're not prepared for. Mm-hmm. So preemptively addressing some of those things and having your key people around and understanding what it means to have meaningful people and supportive people around you and, and literally discarding the people that are bringing nothing positive to your life and you mm-hmm. cannot bring anything positive to and really be a little bit selfish in that self-care. Okay. And when I say selfish is eventually, obviously if a friend calls you and they're, they're in needs, this is not what I'm referring to here. I'm referring to, you know, the, 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 the blood sucking vampires that everything is negative and everything's everybody else's fault and they're deflecting yep. everywhere. And well, these leeches are absolutely over everybody in life. And how do we, and generally it takes people until their forties to realize that that happens. It's important to do that earlier. It's important to teach that to our kids so that they understand somebody might weigh you down forever if you don't. So having the right people around you, having the right purpose, being engaged physically, mentally, and emotionally, learning things, being outside in nature, connecting with nature, connecting with freaking animals. Like for all I care, you know, like just having meaningful things in your life. And my life was like that. Additionally, I had a very, very difficult upbringing and lots of adversity. So we know that adversity is almost always directly correlated to resilience if the person doesn't go the other way. So it can create growth or it can create another another set of issues. In my case, it was growth that it created. So yes, a very adversity uh, sort of ridden youth, which, you know, built a foundation that I could take a hit, you know? And so let me give you an example of this. It's just, I just returned from a trip overseas. So I was in Haiti. Give you a little, a little piece of the landscape in Haiti right now. Mm-hmm. 65 to 75% of the, of the capital, uh, poor prince is in gang control, heavily armed gang control. Okay. They have two ports. The weapons are coming, you know, probably from the States in there. And we're talking about high tech weaponry. There's day, daytime gang rapes going on in the cities. There is, you know, factions everywhere. There's shortage of fuel, gas, food. There is, uh, I mean, 10,000 cases of cholera over the last year, death, 1,500 abductions of domestic, essentially domestic in nature. So people being abducted from the, the, from the streets to be for ransom and, and so that the gangs can, you know, get some money. So this is the, the landscape over there right now. There's hardly any government. It's, it's lawlessness lawlessness over there okay so i'm having a conversation uh, with a bunch of people in in the con- in the context of a of a of a paper i'm writing and i have this conversation and I, we start talking about mental wellness we start talking about mental and emotional wellness and as soon as i start talking about that they're looking at me weird and eventually we come to the suicide piece right yeah. and they're and and they look at me shocked why would anybody do that why and i'm thinking to myself Wow, like this yeah. is very telling. Yeah, this is very telling. So I, so I, I look deeper into this. I'm like, okay, let's have a look uh, because perhaps they're just unaware, right? So I, so I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, pull, okay. I, pull, I pulled up a a, a peer reviewed article, and yeah. it says, sure enough, eight point six percent per hundred thousand 
habitants. Do you know what it is in Canada? 12.7 or something, yeah. right? Yeah. It seems like nothing. But think about this. A 4% average over 100,000 people Absolutely. is a massive difference. Yeah. Yeah. And these guys compare their lives with ours. And, and, and again, this is not about invalidating no. how people feel here no. and all this good stuff. But it is a reality. People, re adversity builds resilience. And yes. the more comfortable that we are and the more comfortable, comfortable that we keep ourselves in, it doesn't help us at all, in fact. And so for me, it was absolutely a shock to see that a, a, a third world country Aff afflicted by all those things yes. and you know it, it, one of the one of the lady that was there she was pretty smart they're all educated and she was pretty smart pretty smart and she said something along the lines of uh, we, we we don't commit suicide we get suicided you know and it made for a funny moment but <laughs> <laughs> oh, man but it go but it goes to show what a, right? way to, what a perspective on life though like sure to laugh is. at that you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. and how real was it what she was saying it was tongue-in-cheek but it was every bit as sobering as to how real it is, uh, you know, and 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 I mean, yeah, I, I, the idea that as comfortable as we are, um, it also gives us, um, it, it puts us in, in, in jeopardy of these types of trappings of, of mm -hmm. this is just the human mind biology, all of this kind of stuff. I think about that, though. I also think about there being opportunity, like for guys that are listening to this right now that are facing some sort of adversity, whatever it is. You know, uh, you know, relationship wise, it could be, you know, job, uh, the, the idea of, of, of purposelessness, whatever, whatever that is, um, there is a switch in our brain. If I'm hearing you right, that we could flip to go, wait a second, how we're feeling right now actually could be a springboard into something great. You talk about the idea of resilience. Well, many times that resilience can lead to not just survival, like we're talking about with the good people of Haiti, but it could lead to us giving ourselves a bigger, better, more fulfilled life, whatever that looks like. The anxiety that you're feeling right now, listener, whoever you are, or whatever it is that you're feeling, myself, I woke up this morning with some anxiety. That happens. That anxiety, we can actually, if we have an awareness and this is to go back to your original point, the idea that we actually become aware of these things, that we have some of these critical thinking ideas where we're not just being sheep, uh, you know, going where we're told to go, where we're, you know, in a rut with our head down. But if we actually pop our head up and become aware of these things, the moment we're aware that there is adversity of any sort, we can realize that is also opportunity to get better. If I'm hearing you right, is that, is that, am I, am I, am I on or am I way off? No, absolutely. Absolutely. Everything is an opportunity for growth. And it starts yeah. with it starts with priming our brain for so, right? And yeah. so if I if I look at something and I and I and I foresee it as the biggest challenge I've ever faced, and my first reaction is this is going to destroy me, this is going to destroy you. Period. But if you but if you start with the mindset that this is going to be difficult and I will work through it, and regardless of what life throws at me, I will work through it. Yeah. And if I need some help, it's fine. Like there is nothing, this is not again, invalidating what people are feeling. If they need some help, if they need somebody to guide them or whatever the case may be, yes. but at the end of the day, they still have to make a decision. And that decision has to be, this will make me stronger. And as tacky as it sounds, it's the only way to prepare for the next hit. Because my, my issue isn't the fact that we, we can sustain a hit. I, when I prepared my guys on the team, I prepared them to have a 10-year career in tactical operation and have thousands of calls under their belt, right? So yep. I prepared them to 
go to a call, get cleared from it, do all the good stuff, come back, return to a call, come back, return to a call, and so on and so forth. Okay, yeah. so this is where the bucket theory, where you add drops of water and the water rises until it starts overflowing, unless you ditch the bucket every single time. Okay, yeah. so that's the idea. The idea is in, can you take a hit? The idea is, can you take 400? That is no, that is the idea, right? Yeah. And and it's not about being fatalistic and it's not about being neurotic. It's all about knowing that regardless of what happens to you, for as long as there is hope, there is there is life and there is yeah. there is an opportunity there. So in 1957, I think, uh, a scientist by the name of Kurt uh, Richter, I believe was his name, led a group of scientists and they conducted testing with rats. Did you ever hear this story? Keep going. Is uh, okay. <laughs> I I think this might be. I I think I know what you're where you're going sure. with this. But keep going. Sure. So this was Norwegian Nor Norwegian uh, rat domesticated rats and wild rats. Okay. Yeah. So they had they had a baseline of both. So they take the and this is long before PETA and 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 the yeah, animal yeah. protection groups. <laughs> yeah. And and quite honestly, you know, the best way to honor the sacrifice is to remember what the study actually said at the end of the day. So Mr. Richter and his team took the Norwegian domesticated rats and they had him swim in the water in, in, in a bucket of water. And it, and they let him swim until they essentially drowned and they yeah. passed away. Okay. The majority of them were between 40 and 60 hours. Okay. So they swam and stayed at the surface for 40 to 60 hours. Yeah. Then they conducted the same test with wild rats within 15 minutes. Most of them were dead. Okay. So they, they looked at this, same physiological disposition, same species, so to speak, yep. everything, except one group was domesticated, the other group was not. Yep. And so they came to the conclusion, and I think it's fairly, it's, it has to be fairly accurate. I mean, they came to the conclusion that the wild rats felt hopeless and yep. didn't see a way out of this and quit. They just let themselves drown. They just quit. They just stop, stop swimming and let themselves drown. Now, what's interesting with this, and somebody might say, well, maybe that's not the case. Okay, so let's let's listen to what what they continued doing. So they took wild rats and they put him in the water, let him swim for about 10 minutes, take, took him out, mm -hmm. put him back in for 15, took him out, put him back in for 30, took him out. And eventually they would also be able to swim between 40 and 60 hours because they were now stress inoculated and they knew it was feasible. There was a way yeah. out, right? They had hope, okay? So at the end of the day, hope perspective drives hope so the, the domesticated rats that are you know obviously used to being caged and all this stuff had a different perspective than the wild rats that are free to go everywhere they go and all of a sudden they were restricted in their movements yeah okay so perspective drives hope when there's hope there's survivability yeah period so all of this came together and it is exactly the same for humans it's exactly the same so when we're seeking perspective we need to be seeking perspective from people that have it, that have it worse than us. And the goal is not to invalidate our own feelings, our own emotions. No, the goal is let those emotions flow through you. Respect that, you know what, no matter how bad other people have it, for me, this is a bad day today. And I understand that. However, if I was to compare my day with, you know, a, a different set of circumstances. Somebody to, in Haiti right now. Yeah. That's it.
get your get your perspective from the people that have it worse than you and then start seeing the hope you know it's almost like when things are going wrong in your life there's this dark cloud following you everybody around you can see that the cloud ends but you cannot because it's right above you yep i uh uh, we talk a lot about gratitude on this on this podcast. I mean, and and I mean, uh, you know, I've said it many times. Uh, gratitude is a silver bullet. It it simply is the action of gratitude. Um, you know, <laughs> being artific artificial, like where you literally just set yourself up at the beginning of the day, and you make yourself come up with three things you're grateful for. You know, like, like not even, you're not in this place of gratefulness, something amazing just happened and you're feeling the rays of, of hope and love and warmth and gratefulness that just naturally happened. No, 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 You're feeling like crap. And at the beginning of the day, you come up with things that you're grateful for begrudgingly even guess what? It starts to rewire things. It just does. And, and this is another version of gratefulness is, is, is being able to look at somebody's example uh, the perspectives you talk about, these different perspectives that are there, what it could be or 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 what it has been in the past, uh, you know, what you've gone through, that kind of a thing to reframe that perspective and to add some hope into it. And also, by the way, I have seen achievers do things that, you know, the the, the thinkers couldn't even fathom. And the reason that the achievers have done it is because of mindset, because of hope, because of the things that you're talking about here. They're superpowers, they're silver bullets. Um, I love that we're talking about this. I especially love that we're talking about this in the society that we live in right now. Um, fascinating times, um, you know, for the, for folks who, who, who are aware uh, and looking around and being introspective and, and retrospective and, 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 and uh, um, looking at, where our culture is at right now. Um, fascinating times. I'm a Gen Xer. And I remember when we were growing up, some of the things that we thought that the baby boomers did. And it was like, you know what? No, we're going to change these things. We're going to change these things. We're going to, you know, us uh, <laughs> Nirvana listening, uh, flannel wearing coffee drinkers is how I like to refer to us. And, and, and some of the things that we said, we're going to change. I do not believe that if you would have told us in the coffee shop back then that the generations after us are going to be coming along and they're going to literally tear the way that we live apart. They're going to look at the way we live, the way that we've been taught to live uh, under a, a microscope, and they're going to completely tear it apart. And we're going to get into cancel culture and all of these things. And, and the liberal aspect of things are going to actually call into question freedom of speech with with us growing up it was the right that was uh you know that that, that was the conservative wing was 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 trying to get rid of freedom of speech and all of that kind of stuff we saw it in music and all this sort of stuff now we're seeing it from the liberal side of things because of the idea of not wanting to hurt feelings and all of the sensitivities and all that and we're seeing freedom of speech challenged and and these are some of the things that are causing um you know this comfortable society where our suicide numbers, our, our mental health numbers are through the roof compared to some of these places you were talking about that have actual life and death perspective. Um, I've just done a lot of talking here, but I know I'm setting a table for a conversation that you are very, very, very well versed in talking about. But just think about us growing up, us G.I. Joe loving kids that just love this stuff growing up. Could we even fathom that this is the, the life that we would have in our 40s and 50s? <laughs> No, but here's what's here's what's interesting with that yeah. with with this with this prospect. 
it's okay. So um, we all got to where we are on account of how we were raised and how we grew up, right? And then when we got there, what did we do? We started raising our kids and we're like, I want to prevent them from having any of the adversity that I yes. went through. Yes. So basically, I'm like, okay, hold on here. So let me get this straight. I understand that you want your kids safe. We all want our kids safe. Like, you, you know, we obviously, that's okay. Yeah. However, the reason why you are the person that you are today and you have the strength that you have today is because of what you went through. If you prevent all adversity and take it out of your kid's life, you are not giving it gift gifting them anything quite nope. to the contrary yep. and so that's exactly we as a generation and we need to take some ownership on that we did that to this current generation yeah we did that yes don't don't let, there's no deflection here let's not look around and going you know like whose fault is that and how did that happen we did that i love this yes so you know Understanding that yes, there is a, me a measure of 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 measures that, or there's some measures that we should take to keep our, our kids safe. For example, like we were driving in the back of a pickup while the the driver was drunk and we had no seatbelt and you know those things. Obviously, physical harm, those types of things, we understand. Same with the bullyism. You know, yep. bullyism actually, if we don't interfere with it, has a potential when their little brains are not fully developed, has the potential to hurt them a lot more than create growth, right? Yes. So we know that. So we have to interfere with that. And I'm totally good with that. Yes. However, there's a lot of the natural things in life that we want to take away from them and that they should experience themselves. Yes. It's like perhaps, you know, if the kid is nine and you're getting up in the morning to help them get dressed and everything, you are not doing it correctly. Okay. Now is the time to teach them the skills and to say, okay, man, you're on your own. Yeah. Good to go. Let's see it. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And, and this is just a, you know, a random example that I'm, that I'm taking, but obviously sure. we try, we over this generation overprotected our kids and our kids are now suffering. They're suffering because we overprotected them. And that's yeah. pretty evident. And so, you know, I would say we need to we need to kind of balance the pendulums a little bit. But now it's obviously difficult. Like when once an entire generation is affected, now it, it changes things. But now what they are seeing is or what we are seeing as a society or as a collective is we're starting to see a shift where people start to find the balance a little bit again, right? Like and it's slow and it's painful, but it but it seems to be happening. And and hopefully it does before we as a, as as humanity self-destruct because the world is in a is in is in a poor state right now <laughs> well I'll, I'll tell you this being my honest. granddaughter my my four-year-old granddaughter is my favorite thing in the whole world she just she brings the delight that she brings to me is just i've 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 never experienced anything like that before we have her she's four years old we have her in mma class okay so she plays a place called Toshido here in Kelowna. um you know they've they've a bunch of UFC fighters have actually come out of there and they have these amazing kids classes. And I remember saying to shout out to David Lee, um, who, uh, you know, he, he runs Toshido and, and, and I said to him, when we put Alara in there for the first time, I said, Hey, do you guys give, like, does every, all the kids get like participation awards and all that stuff. I asked about this. Cause you know, I, this is something obviously that I think, uh, rings true to what you're talking about here. He's like, no, I'm like, awesome. Because she needs to know what it's like to lose. She needs to know, like, if she if she's a competitive kid and she's she's got a lot of potential. And so she needs to know what it's like to feel what it's like to lose. And MMA is a perfect example of that because you're tapping out all the time. You're, 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 you know, you constantly have to tap out. 
And I just love the character that that builds into people because when you have to tap out, you learn. You know, um, Jerry Seinfeld's got a great, uh, great theory about this. When it comes to, he looks at skateboarders. He's driving by, see these skateboarders. He goes, just to learn one kickflip on a skateboard, you're falling, you're getting bloody knees. You're, do, you, you know, you have to do it thousands of times before you get it right. And he looks at those skateboarders. He goes, those skateboarders, they're going to be okay in life. And I think we need a little bit more of that. Um, and 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 you're right. I mean, that's uh, it is it is it is our uh, wanting to shield people like my dad he grew up in horror he grew up in horror he was living like a man when he was 15 out of his house because of the horror he grew up in and as a result of that i didn't see one drop of alcohol in my house growing up personally i just didn't i'd go over to friends house it's like oh what what's that like okay i just i didn't know and it was because my dad wanted to me to shield me from what he experienced Mm -hmm. amazing sentiment natural sentiment but Sometimes we throw the baby out with the bathwater, and I'm glad you brought that up here. This this kind of awareness are the things that we need to talk about. Uh, I want to bring it back to mental wellness for a second because you have a fascinating perspective on these things. In the military, more so in the RCMP, I mean, we've seen as this new generation has come up, um, there are benefits. I don't want to just crap all over. I mean, the idea of bringing mental wellness to the forefront of things that are important. And, and, and I mean, it's, un, it's unprecedented in North America, um, you know, the studying, the knowledge that we have on this, um, uh, the, the fact that it's in, in your, in our faces. Like I, I think about some of the uh, entertainment that's out there that even just delves into mental wellness and mental health. Did you see that shift and that evolution happening maybe in the military, but more so in the RCMP? Did you see there being more of a focal point uh, between the old stereotype of, okay, let's fill the bucket. Let's just, you know, bury it down, bury it down, let it fill up, whatever. And then that's when the heart attack happens. That's when the suicide happens. That's when the uh, the violence happens, whatever it is. Um, did you see that evolution right in front of you? Did you see it happening? Were you aware of of this happening going where, okay, yeah, people are emptying out their buckets more? Yeah, absolutely. What I what I did witness is a shift from something that was heavily stigmatized to yeah. something that was not only acceptable but expected, right? And I would say that this probably happened 10 years in my career. Okay. Be, say between 7 or 10 years of my career. So it would have been like 2008 yeah. roughly, 2008, yeah. 2009 is where we really saw an uptake in in uh initiatives not only from an organizational standpoint but also a shift in the in the in the in people themselves because everybody's seeking like who's doing what for mental health but at the end of the day what are you doing for mental health like you as an individual like be, be a leader in that right How, what do you do to what do you do to 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 support the people you work with what do you do to make somebody feel accepted when the person leaves and leaves the room are you you know out there you know bitching about them doing this and that and whatever and then and then they can feel that there's a variety of different things that are that occurred over that course i'm not suggesting that all those practices are completely done but no. I, what i will say is that over the course of the last 10 years there's been an, a, a, an incredible increase in generating awareness and 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 destigmatization process yeah. with respect to mental health and there has been you know a lot of uh, arguably sometimes maybe overdiagnosis of some of the post-traumatic stress disorders or even occupational stress injuries. Yeah. Sometimes you don't have post-traumatic stress injuries. Your life is miserable. That's different. 
right? And I think, <laughs> and at that point, that's a good news at times, right? Like, it's, so sure. we, we we need to understand there is a there is a inherent sacrifice that occurs for anybody jumping in the uh, sort of a the first response world. Mm -hmm. However, ha having had a life changing experience doesn't necessarily make you have PTSD. And now, once you have that, what we find difficult is to help the person out of that because it's it at at one point it becomes defining and mm -hmm. if it does not for everybody but for certain people it can become defining and if it become defining then they are stuck in a vicious cycle that they are keeping the the two ends of that loop together mm -hmm. on account on account of that is the evil you know and sometimes yes. the evil you know is better than the evil you don't know so for you to take steps that are incredibly uncomfortable to get yourself out of a certain predicament sometimes is very, very difficult. It actually can be more difficult than staying in the status quo. And so I went on a tangent here, but yes, the answer is no, yes. No, it becomes comfort food. It's, 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 we learn to tolerate the things we hate. Sure it can. It, it absolutely can. Yeah. It, because it explains, it, it explains some of our struggles. You know, I, I really like this example from uh, Jordan Peterson speaking about a client that went to his office and the client said, you know, Mr. Peterson, I'm, I'm, I'm depressed. And, and Jordan was telling the story on one of his, uh, one of his guest speaking appearances. Mm -hmm. He basically says to the client, start digging into this a little bit. And, um, it, you know, says, you know, I lost my mom and, and I lost my job and I lost this and that. And Jordan's kind of shaking his head, you know, he's an emotionally intelligent man. Yep. And he, and he's just kind of shook his head there. And he's like, I got a good and a bad news. The good news is you're not depressed. The bad news is your life is miserable. You know, and and but what it ended what ended up happening is yeah. actually the person that was seeking the help was actually was actually comforted by that. Okay, so I'm not depressed. It's normal for me to feel this way. Yeah. There is ebbs and flows on the emotional side in life. Things will hit you. Yes, and when they do, it's not going to feel good and it will take time to overcome them, but you can and when yes. you do, you will be stronger for it. So it's not a matter of panicking when something hits you. It's a matter of allowing it to flow through you for the time that's required, provided that the time that's required is reasonable, and give yourself a chance to get better before you start panicking about your state of affairs. Right. And pigeonholing you and letting you say, like you say, I'm just going back to the to how you started this. Um, don't let it define you. Don't let it become your identity. Don't let it become who you are. And the awareness of somebody saying to me, like, if I, okay, if I got a big piece of food on my face, I want someone to tell me about it. You know, I want to be aware of that so I can do something about it. And I think that that is a silver bullet as well is, is helping each other become aware of these things, but us doing that self-discovery, that personal responsibility, um, you know, again, back to the, back to the beginning, that problem solving um, we, but many times we just aren't, we don't wake up and, and, and these moments, it's conversations like this, that, that, that help people wake up. Um, I, I hate how slippery time gets when we, when it comes to these things, there's a couple of things I want to get to uh, PTSD. You were talking about PTSD. You saw um, really at the end of the day, you saw the idea of PTSD go from, you know, a textbook to becoming a buzzword, to becoming a common phrase that, that the masses have, have heard. Um, PTSD in the news a lot these days here. I've watched you post on this, by the way, Slav commander, right? SLA uh, on Instagram. That's the best way to find you is, is, uh, but Slav commander, S L A V C M M D R. Is that what it is? 
S-L-A-V-C-C-M-D-R. CCMDR, right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. And that's what if people want to find Seb, please, please go check out his Insta. Um, it's it's amazing, it's inspiring, uh, it's insightful, and it will um it will it will shake things up and help create some of these moments where we need to be aware. Um, I just uh, am I'm so inspired by you, Seb. I really, really, really am. Uh, I appreciate you so much. Um, I've watched some of your posts recently when it comes to um, what's the best way to set the table for this? I think there are some people out there who are helping others who might have some mental health duress wave the white flag uh, when it doesn't need to be waved. And, 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 and there's some alarming things going on when it comes to um, that. Am I, am I, am I setting that table right? Yeah. I'm not sure which one of my posts I, I post a lot. I'm not sure yeah. which one of my posts you're referring PTSD to. PTSD but... and the maid programmer where I'm going with that. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I look at, I look at uh, the idea of, 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 of folks um, with mental wellness issues um, that are being given the, you know, the, the incentive almost, or the, 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 the you know, the instructions, right. I, I'm not a big fan of the book when the final exit a book that teaches you how to kill yourself uh, was showing up in the public library um, in the nineties. I, I, that, that is not, I'm not a fan of that. And I, I'm not against free speech, of course, that kind of a thing, but I also don't want to put poison in children's hands either. Um, so that's kind of where I'm going with this. And I know that you have very strong opinions when it comes to that as well. Yeah. Where, where to start? Um, yeah. what kind of alternative galaxy are we in that people as associated to an organization whose sole purpose is to assist veterans post-service suggesting to those same veterans that they should be taking their own lives on account of not being able to overcome their PTSD, which by the way, they got as a result of serving their country overseas. Are you kidding me? And where is your emotional intelligence? And where is your common sense? And why are you in the position that you are currently in? It is absolutely asinine. Further to that, when this came around, was there a big uproar at the government level? Like, was all the bells and whistles activated, and we must investigate this to the, you know, to the deepest, the deepest of our abilities to make yep. sure? Because if one person was offered that, how long has that person worked there? You know, many more have been. I just, I don't know that I can find a word to say how despicable of an act this can be how truly despicable that is and you know what wait till we find out that some of these people actually did go through with it because yeah. we do not know for the time being or if somebody does it certainly isn't me it might be known in the course of the investigation whatever the case may be but man think of it think of this it is absolutely asinine preposterous it, it is absolutely the most destructive thing that we can do for every living veteran that's ever sacrificed for this country so with that is now, what do we do with that? Yeah. Well, A, we find who was told this. We follow up with everybody who was told this. We follow up with everybody to ensure that nobody has kind of gone through with this yeah. or what kind of mindset. And they should be getting all the treatment that they can by the highest levels of professionalism to overcome the hurdles that are going to come from receiving validation that probably you should kill yourself. Yeah. It is completely completely insane 
there is zero amount of of critical analysis that will change how insane this is. Yeah, quite to the contrary, it just reinforces it more and more. And so I've had veterans reach into me specifically that were offered mate, that were offered mate, and the damage that's caused could foreseeably be it, it, basically um, you cannot, you may not be able to change. It may be completely, you know irreversible is the word I was looking for. Yeah. I, I was going through my heads in French and English and all the other languages I know. And <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but, but yeah, like, it, you know, as serious as the topic is, it is it, it. how many of those veterans have received information that you can't turn around. Right. And I would say if they are listening, I've had people from the veterans affair really thoughtful people reach out on certain things to say hey um you know heads up you you know you have a friend here that's struggling whatever it, and they're not divulging secrets but they're simply saying they've read a post or something and i would be looking into women or whatever so there are a ton of caring people that work for veterans affair there is no yeah. question are they bureaucratically completely stifled and just just like any other government organization in this country like we literally can't do anything without red tape every 10 feet. And we're basically, we're, we're, our due processes are kind of like turning an aircraft carrier around instead of a speedboat. And it just <laughs> takes weeks to do it. Right. Or, or at least that's the story. Yep. So, yep. so aside from the fact that it's completely unacceptable, now actions to be taken, find out exactly who was offered that. If anybody was taken, they, the, the biggest piece that's missing in Canada, and, and I would say North America specifically, is accountability. Yes. Accountability. And when I say accountability, man, your organization did that. The accountability that comes along with, with proposing that our war veterans commit suicide, I don't know if you can overcome it as an organization. I don't. But definitely it should happen. So once once we figure it out, once we figure out the cases, we need to be digging and digging and digging. This is kind of like... You know, a lot of the, a lot of the, say, sexual assault cases or whatever. You, 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 you unearth one, and next thing you know, there's a hundred. Yep. And and they all need the help that they need so that they can overcome whatever the repercussions of that were. And so it's a big, big project, but it has to be dug up. Yes. You can't, you can't, you can't attempt to say that there was only two and then sort of put the carpet on top of it and say, yeah, yeah, everybody else is really quiet and, unless somebody volunteers the information. Sometimes the damage is so critical or catastrophic that people cannot even speak to it. Yeah. So it's not necessarily that everybody's going to be volunteer to come out and say, yeah, this happens. This happened to me also. That's going to be your job to be, to be basically conducting audits on the cases and having the conversations with the right people to try to find as many as we can. And yeah. then from there, there has to be an accountability that sets a very, very strong message to anybody else that might one day consider doing something that's stupid. Yes. Uh, Seb, I, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you talking about that this today. Um, you're right. There are some things like this can't be a Band-Aid. The only way to clean a wound is to dig around, clean it out, and heal it properly, suture it properly. And that's what needs to happen here. Um, you know, when we heard about um, what you're talking about here, the idea of this of this program, again, the MADE program is not 
everything has good intentions or many things, most things have good intentions in how they're set up, but they can be used improperly. A chainsaw is an invaluable tool. It can save somebody months and months and months and months of work considering uh, technology that used to be available on the homestead. It literally can be a lifesaver, but a chainsaw can also do a tremendous amount of damage if it's used improperly. And it only takes one person using it improperly to really, really uh, make a mark like this. So the idea of 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 folks, we had a we had a gentleman who has um, been on a self discovery. He's very similar to yourself, actually. He's got a the intellectual mindset, the tactical mindset, and and he has suffered for, with depression for forty five years, and has gone through every single. Um, I'm I'm not going to say, as far as he's concerned, every single therapy that there is available um, when it comes to depression, and he still has it. Is he throwing in the towel? No, he's looking at this as like it's his life. This is how he can contribute to society. But he's also extremely well educated. He's extremely successful um, in our culture, and he's a beacon for other people who have this type of almost, like you said, irreversible depression. And I think about some of these people who are out there, where if we just gave the proper support and care, rather than the idea of okay, just throw in the throw in the towel. Um, I, I just appreciate your perspective and you, uh, and I wanted to give you the ability to talk about this because I know it is something that is close to your heart. Um, now, that being said, you know, we're getting closer to the end here. You woke up inspired this morning and I want to talk about that. Anytime someone's inspired, I want to pay attention to that. Um, where are you at right now? Where are you going with your, uh, with your business, with your movement, with all of these things? Um, what are some of the things that you're dealing with uh, right now, Seb? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I should sort of. I think there was a perfect storm that that triggered some some deep deep introspection very early this morning to my partner's dismay. Pre coffee <laughs> introspection, <laughs> pre, much much pre coffee, <laughs> probably three hours too early. <laughs> but um, you know, coming back from Haiti, having had that that this was my second trip in a year, coming back from there, having that perspective. And then last night, so I'm I'm taking a uh, a master's of international security, global counterterrorism right now, and uh, I'm doing a, a master's of 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 that. And um, and we have a cohort that discuss discusses things on a secure on a secure medium, and we're we're kind of chatting about you know sort of the, the 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 world's landscape, so to speak. And there's it's an international degree, so there's people from all over the world, and there's a lot of scholars in that group, and it is absolutely fascinating you know, to see the perspectives and, and some of the political, geo, geopolitical la uh, landscape and issues and things. And at the end of the day, it's way too complex for, for most people to even fathom what's going on in the world right now. So we, again, will try to, and that includes me, by the way, and we will try to, uh, we will try to, you know, simplify it so that we can make sense of it. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it, what it did to me last night, I think, is really, really exposing that I, what, you know, that it, it, it basically made me consciously incompetent, right? In, in the realm. And yep. so, and so this morning I woke up with an epiphany and I'm like, how many other things are we actually a prison of like a mental and emotional and intellectual prison of, and how many other things that are made up or, or, or conjured up by us as humans, or that we were told like anecdotal stifling or anything like that, that we were, we adhere to on account of this is the way it is yeah. or, instead of challenging absolutely everything. 
And I, when I say challenging, I don't mean necessarily in the physical way, but how do I, as a human being, start challenging my own thought process? Because I can't control what everybody else is doing. And this is essentially what people are pushing conspiracy theory are doing. It's like, well, I'm going to tell you this and this and this. What are you yep. guys doing about it? It's like, what are you doing about the information that you have? So I'm lying there in bed and I'm like, I want to know everything. I'm watching this show on Netflix. It's called uh, Ancient Apocalypse. Have you okay. watched that? I haven't watched it yet. No. Oh my God. You you like you need to watch that. It's I'm in. All, I'm in. That's it's, it's, it's title it, alone. I'm in. It's completely insane. It's it's basically it has to do with lost civilizations and like the relationship between them and there, is there a bigger picture here and is there is there um you know was there humanity sixteen thousand years earlier than what is known from the oh. archaeological standpoint and all this stuff and there's a ton of absolutely compelling evidence and there's a ton, ton of circumstantial evidence and it's great it's a great show but again exemplifies like do we know what we know or do right. or do we just believe what we think we know and so all those things all mashed in this morning i i said i am so curious i just want to know everything like i do not i don't like mystery i want to know everything how am i gonna am i gonna know everything and then i'm like okay uh, i don't know if you read my post about going one step at a time and not seeing the outcome so i'm like okay yeah yes yeah. So I'm basically, I, I applied my own theory to my own question this morning. I'm like, okay, the fact is I know. So take, for example, like take a bit of a segue here. So okay. you have somebody that has a PhD in Orient affairs, for example, yes. like Asian, yes. you know, affairs. And, and you have somebody that has, uh, say, uh, a world's a world's PhD. The person that has the PhD in Asian affairs is likely to know more, much more than the person that has a PhD in world's affair, because yes. it's more of a they're more of a generalist, yep. right? And so they didn't dive into it nearly as uh, in depth. As specific, yeah, exactly. So now we are talking about two levels of scholars that are very elevated. But this guy would say, no, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. So what do you actually know? Okay, so if we take this as a base premise, there is no way we can get there. There is no way. As individual humans, we cannot. It's impossible. Like We can't know everything about everything at all. In fact, we can't have any level of, of, of expertise to speak of on anything. So my thing was, what if we took ourselves from unconscious incompetent to consciously incompetent. That is a massive, massive step forward. Because at that point, when the need arises for me to know something, I know that I can go out and seek, right? You know, whoever the expert or the person is in a certain field of endeavor, and I can learn so much more about this. And now I made myself smarter, closer to knowing things, but we know that the end goal of knowing everything is impossible. Okay, so yes. it's it's more about taking incremental steps towards knowing more and more and more. And then I just went into this sort of, you know, um, loop of, of thinking about all the things that I was thinking in my head. So um, some of them were uh, just, okay, so let's talk about overthinking, for example, as a concept. Sure. And since I've been a boy, People have always been told overthinking, overthinking is bad, right? You overthink, like yeah. things are going to get messed up yeah. and you're not going to be like, and so I'm, I'm sitting there and I go, okay, so all those sort of think tanks that are, that are doing a lot of thinking, that are doing a lot of critical thinking and everything that come up with so solutions or hypotheses or whatever the case may be. Yeah. 
are they not overthinking, right? And so, well, I mean, some of them just can't stop their brain from thinking. I'm one of yeah. them, okay? So I started thinking, I'm like, okay, is it possible that everything we know about overthinking is wrong? Is it possible that if somebody is overthinking, but they have to abil the ability to manage the information that comes out of it on the other end, it's no longer overthinking. It's now introspective thinking, and it's now critical thinking, and it's now critical analysis. Like what dif dif differentiates the two? And I mean, perhaps one of your one of your listeners is a you know a, a master or or a PhD in psychology, and they will be able to break this down for us. Sure. But ultimately, at the end of the day, my thing is so somebody, and if you see the way humans act in general, they will say, "Well, I'm an overthinker, anyways." Okay. Sure. So now, so now they deflected all responsibility on a known condition that defines them, and they taken the tools away from themselves to do anything different because they believe that whatever it is that they're doing is detrimental. What kind of prison is that? Oh, what that's if? It's a dangerous one. It is. What if? you stop listening to everybody saying that overthinking is bad and you started looking at ways to maximize and optimize your potential as an overthinker. Right. Could you make your life that much better? And I'm going to go ahead and propose that yes, you probably can. How, right? And so how? It starts with you realizing that you are in a matrix, you know, you are you are in a prison Yep. And really, don't look for anybody that's responsible for keeping you there. You are keeping yourself there. So you it's can... a type of awareness within the overthinking. It's an awareness that lights up. So it's not an autonomic or, or it's not a, it's, it's an awareness within the overthinking. You just, you just have essentially in the, in the, in the, in the context of critical thinking, you need to understand that everything you know needs to be challenged. Everything you know needs to be challenged. Is there a better way to do this? Is there a better way to be? Is there a better way for me to think? Do all the things that I think and does everything, is, is everything linear? You know, is everything linear? Is everything like one thing at a time? Like, could we not go circularly? Like, why are we, and we're set in our ways, but you're, suing, you're seeing it when you're doing multi, multicultural communication or anything like that. You're starting to see that other people in other parts of the world are, are, are processing the world differently, right? Yes. And so it opens up. The fact is the, the, the mind work like a, it works like a parachute, open. And once, but the problem is, is we want to stop everything from spinning because we want to be in control. Yes, but you are in control. You're in control of challenging your thoughts. You're in control of challenging your emotions. You're in control of overriding things that you've been told for years on account of maybe this isn't the case, you know, and take it, take a, an example, very concrete example. Okay. Four miles in a, in a, in a, a four minute for a mile was yeah. impossible uh, until, absolutely. A, until of course it was broken by somebody that theoretically defies the laws of physiology of yep. humans physiology, right? Well, okay, so that would be the case. That would be good if it was the case, except 30,000 people broke it since. So, so what happened there? Because nobody had before that. Well, as they soon started. As they knew it was possible. It was outside the box. The box was broken. The jail was, the, the bars were yep. taken off, and the person came out. Yep. Right. And so, yes. So, my realization this morning was like, you don't need to know everything. You don't need to be perfect. What you need to bring yourself to is to realize that if you question everything and you introspect on everything, you can pursue excellence. 
at, you know, you can pursue excellence, intellectual excellence and emotional excellence. Get out of the boxes that other people are painting around you so that they can make sense of the world. That was my realization this morning. And I mean, it goes far deeper than that, but I, we don't want this podcast to be four hours long. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I do. And I'm telling, I'm telling the, I cannot wait until he changed it becomes uh, uh, what it's the potential. It realizes its potential. I can't wait for that because I am the fan of the long form. I, I, I believe that this is where, um, you know, dialogues and, 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 and communicating begins. I, be I believe it begins at this point here. We're not at that place yet. They like the hour to the hour and a half kind of a thing. So we have to do this. But that being said, you have set the table to say, okay, Seb, you've got to come back. And I got to tell you on a personal level, I can't thank you enough. I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of, of my wife and her team now. I can't thank you enough for how much um, just you even taking the time to look at what it is that he changed it is doing. Um, we can't, I can't tell you how much it, it, it means to us that you and who you are and all that you do appreciate what we're doing. It knowing that people like you love what we're doing and support what we're doing and are cheering us on that gives us that hope that you're talking about that perspective that we need um, because it ain't easy that, you know, the, the one of Candy's mentors said, said to her, you know what, it isn't low hanging fruit, but the orchards are full. And I've used that example before here. They said that to her as a, as a means of hope, having you on here uh, cheering us on the idea of wanting to change the world um, to, 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 to get, uh, release these bar, uh, you know, get rid of these bars, release these prisons that that so many men are in right now. Um, and you are a champion for that. Thank you so much for supporting what he changed. It does, Seb. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You guys are great. Oh, we appreciate that so, so much. Um, I'm going to switch back to me. Then you and I can do our goodbye privately. Um, they go by so fast. I I can't believe I literally, I, 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 you know, you know, full disclosure, I woke up this morning with some anxiety going, oh man, there's lots of stuff going on. It's that time of year. Um, all of these things. I was um, flat out a little bit intimidated by Seb. Seb is a, you know, obviously how impressive he is. Uh, so exciting to have a conversation where I can actually hang with someone like him. Uh, very, very, very appreciative of everything that he is doing. Uh, please, please feel free in the descriptions that we have here. We're going to have all of the links to um, everything. The best way to get a hold of him. The best way is his Instagram. That's the best way to get a hold of Seb. And then it's a it's a rabbit hole from there. Um, once again, please download the He Changed It app if you haven't already. Uh, lots of good things coming. Um, like, share, subscribe, HeCast to everybody that you know. That is another episode of HeCast, the official podcast of He Changed It. My name is Mike Chisholm. Go change something. <laughs>